This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. After a couple of decades as a privately practicing psychologist and the owner of multiple small businesses, my guest, Lindsay Spencer Matthews, decided it was time to share his wisdom with a wider audience. The result is his book, Why Clever People Do Dumb Things, and it's a practical guide that aims to help us feel as successful on the inside as we appear on the outside. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here and hear your dulcet tones. Oh, that's good. So, look, Lindsay, after you know twenty twenty plus years as a psychologist, I'm I'm guessing that, um, well, frankly, you had plenty of fodder for a book or a number of books. But what was it specifically that prompted you to write this book? Well, for for the best part of that twenty one years, I've been trying to work out why clever people do dumb things, and over the last five or six years of my career as a psychologist, I think I've got a bit of a handle on it. Uh, I've explored almost every theoretical strategy available to the profession and I came across one about seven years ago called acceptance and commitment therapy and Mm. it was uh, a mind-opening experience for me and it felt like my hand fitting into a glove and I've used that theoretical construct to come up with the ideas that are in the book and uh, I've now been using it with clients for the best part of six years as I say. I've been walking the talk with it myself as well. It's absolutely uh, completely changed my life. I've had the best six years of the best 26 years of a very long life. And <laughs> and uh, the response that I'm getting from individual clients is pretty profound uh, uh, as it unfolds, as I am able to make the process live for them and they kind of get it and start to buy into it. The most common thing is firstly, you know, why didn't I know this before? And mm. the second thing is once you get it, it just makes sense. So uh, that was what the prompt was. Well, fantastic, and look, and, I, and you know, my challenge to you now is is to uh, condense those twenty odd years of learning and uh, the latest, most recent six years of uh, of of uh, exploring this this concept, um, and present us with uh, some tips in the next sort of thirty <laughs> minutes. So, you know, how can we? How can I mean this? I think this this the sort of subhead that you've got on your book, which is to feel as successful on the inside as we appear. Sorry, to, to feel as successful on the inside as we appear on the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, you will be aware. I know you're a solo practitioner, or have been for a good time yourself, and you will understand very much that when you're running your own solo business, we have to keep this kind of face of bravado and success and all this wonderful stuff. But yes, truly, sometimes we feel completely different to a completely different lead to the persona that we're um, projecting. So what are some of these steps? How can we go about, 
you know, getting a little bit of equilibrium going on here. Okay, and that's a very interesting perspective to have on it, Robert, because uh, what you've just identified is the environmental imperative, to use a couple of wonderfully big words, um, mm. that kind of impels uh, particularly a solo business owner to uh, to project the persona that they're happy and confident and successful and the old, you know, fake it till you make it stuff. And mm. there's an element of that behind it, but there's an even more insidious uh inside element and that is that uh, it's now my very strong belief uh, and long-time observation that we humans are actually driven by invisible forces things that we don't even know are impelling us to do things that we do and uh, the, the, uh, the kind of model that I use in the book is that these forces live in a bit of our brain that uh, is not uncommonly referred to as our automatic pilot. Uh, some right. people call it their subconscious or the lizard brain, lizard brain or whatever. Yep. And uh, it's these imperatives that uh, that make us do the things we do. So even though we are feeling potentially you know, miserable, uh, unsure of ourselves, that we know we're down to $10 in the bank, that those invisible internal forces conspire with those very palpable external forces and make us go on in ways that we wouldn't if we had the legitimate choice. Hmm. Uh, so what do we, I mean, that, that's, that's uh, as you say, that's a way of kind of ex- expanding and explaining um, exactly what the, uh, the symptoms are, if you like. But so what do we do about it? Gee, it took me 40,000 words to explain this, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of things we can do. Um, right. The, the, there's five things that I believe we would like to have influencing our lives. And I'll very briefly run through with them with you if sure. I may. Uh, yeah. The first is logic. We would all like to think that the things we do are logical, mm. and yet many of them are not. Uh, we would like to think that we have a sense of, uh, of moral rectitude, a sense of knowing what the right thing is to do. And yet all of us have had experiences where we haven't done the right thing, uh, either by action or uh, inaction. Uh, the third thing is we'd like to think that we've got the capacity to creatively solve problems. And whilst we all demonstrate that on occasions, there are other times where we're just blindsided and we lose that facility. Uh, the fourth thing that I would like to think would be a guiding fi- figure in my own life is my values, the, the things yep. that I want to be remembered for and known for. And the fifth thing uh, is I would really like all of my actions to be taken in consideration of what the potential consequences might be of those actions. They're five really significant driving factors, and I think they're absent in in intention in almost every moment of our waking lives. Uh, hmm. That our the, the automatic bit of our brain is capable of learning activities that are congruent with those five desirable traits, uh, but it does those things by accident. That uh, we are equally able to learn uh, behaviours that don't work as we are able to learn behaviours that do work. And the bit of our brain that I believe controls our lives, that automatic pilot, does either of those actions, the ones that work or the ones that don't work, with equal facility. Uh, And the thing that I am trying to get people to do through the the, the book and the talks that I give and all that kind of stuff is Mm. I'm trying to get people to deliberately activate that other bit of their brain, What the the bit that I, it's an incredibly complicated term that I use, our clever brain. Uh, (laughs) I'm trying to get people to deliberately activate that clever brain so they have those five aspects available to them. Okay, so let me just make sure I understand this. So this is sounding a little bit like kind of um, rich dad, poor dad sort of split in that we what you're saying is in our mind, we've got, we can go the way that works or we can go the way that doesn't work. 
um, and often what you're doing, you're saying almost sort of out of our control, mm -hmm. is we're slipping into the don't work mode. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of interesting analogies there. I love the rich dad, poor dad uh, reference. So uh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki actually helped my wonderful wife, Sarah, and I make our first and so far only million dollars. Um, <laughs> and uh, I say sadly our first and only because mm. uh, my dumb brain uh, then conspired against me to lose it all. So, uh, so I'm I'm uh, I've, I've gone from BMW to broke. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, and uh, so the rich dad poor dad philosophy is a really interesting one, but it, uh, it it doesn't necessarily fit with what I'm talking about because. No, okay. Well, let's not. I won't um, just let us get too distracted on that on the philosophy as such. But is it is it? Do you see it as clearly as? Is that sort of split? Like there's one, there's one correct way of, of thinking and behaving, and there's one that kind of doesn't serve us as well. But what you're proposing is, is that there are some tips and tools whereby we can more likely end up in the in the in the, the proper sort of the proper half. Is that right? It's getting close. Um, okay. The the bit that I refer to as our automatic pilot, I I, mm. I think is tragically dumb. It's, uh, it's phenomenally capable of doing highly sophisticated things, but it's actually a bit of a moron. And so it doesn't know whether the things it's doing actually work or not. And the other bit of our brain, the one that uh, the rich dad part of our brain, uh, mm. to labour that analogy a little, um, is, uh, is the one that, that has the capacity for rational thought, but unfortunately is exquisitely lazy. And it's only awoken from its slumber by the disasters that our other brain gets us into. So mm. our automatic well, that's that's clearly not what we want, is it? We don't want to have to go into uh, disaster before we start getting the the clever bit working. I agree. And the mm. seductive part of our automatic pilot is that it does so much right. It gets so right. much of what we normally do right that that's what lulls us into that sense of complacency. That's where our clever brain is able to, whenever it does, it observes what we're doing and we walk and we talk and we use language and we drive cars and we use computers and all of those things happen with incredible facility. And so our, our clever brain gets lulled into a sense of, of security and it drifts off to sleep in the corner, which is its natural state. And we, without knowing we're doing it, we surrender our lives to our highly capable and competent moronic brain and it just goes about life until it reaches something that it doesn't know how to do or something that it's learnt to do incorrectly, and then we have an oh-no moment, and we've all had those. Hmm, gee. This, I'm beginning to understand why, it's, why it did take you 40,000 words to write. This clearly is, is quite complex, isn't it? Because I'm, and hearing you, hearing you speak there, I'm thinking, I, I totally get what you're talking about, because I know my sort of my automatic pilot will let me generally sort of meander through stuff at a quite acceptable sort of level. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do things okay and you can just sort of be an okay person. Everything's kind of, everything's, it's easy to be sort of comfortably mediocre in that in that sort of way of thinking, isn't it? It is, but I, I don't settle for mediocrity, Robert. I, I, no, 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 I'm, no. I'm in absolute awe and admiration of my automatic pilot. Uh, I'm, a, mm. I'm a passable tennis player. And I know the only reason that I can return some of those incredible shots where I'm sort of running backwards and the ball's coming towards me at a million miles an hour and I can pop in a winning shot, that's got nothing to do with me being in control of the ball. That's got everything to do with me having hit 10,000 tennis balls and my automatic pilot knows exactly what to do under those instantaneous circumstances. So uh, it, our, our automatic pilot is capable of brilliance. Mm. Okay, so 
I'm going to ask you the a, sort of a, a slightly reworded version of the early one. So, what do we do? How do we, you know, we we don't want to wait until something goes a bit pear shaped, or we miss the ball, yeah. or we lo- lose our B and W, or whatever. How do we then? How how do we? What what, I, what it sounds like you're suggesting is that we need to keep a constant check on is this is this automatic pilot taking us in the right sort of direction is that is that right it is and in a in an attempt to cut to the chase and make this legitimately simple robert <laughs> the state of mind that i would absolutely love the whole world to be in is a state of mild but deliberate curiosity and confusion <laughs> hang on let me write that down mild but deliberate curiosity and confusion because our automatic... Well, I, think I've got, I think I've got part of that solved. <laughs> All right. Now, you can either do this by indolence, by just letting it happen because you're too, too lazy to think of anything else, or you can do it deliberately. Okay. Now, our automatic pilot, by the way, is incapable of those two states of mind. It's not a curious object, and it's, not, and it's incapable of getting confused. Hmm. It's the, it's so, okay. So we, we have to put ourselves into that, into that state, this mild but deliberate state with where we're we're um acting with curiosity and confusion exactly and it's an alien state for most human beings Hmm. i mean if if anyone uh listening has a successful small business i can almost guarantee that they're running that successful small business because either by dedication or accident they have uh learned all of the necessary habits involved in order to run a successful small business Yeah, and look, I, I, and I wouldn't disagree with that, and, I, and I'm, I know we do have a number of people listening who have got successful small business, but the thing is, I think you and I both know, everybody knows, that um, kind of business as usual doesn't work these days. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't rest on our laurels, we can't be complacent. So this curiosity particularly, I think, is a, is a wonderful state to kind of, or a wonderful position to have your mind in a good amount of the time. But again, are you suggesting then that... I mean, is this is this a, a a sort of device or a tool or a way of being that we need to sort of turn on and have running um, metaphorically on our mind all the time? Do we need to run every sort of decision and thought through it? How do we how do we bring it into our daily life? I do believe it's a an act of supreme will, and it does require some effort in the early stages, Robert. Um, the in the conversations that I have with people about this uh, and in the talks that I do about it, uh, it's sometimes a difficult concept for people to get through because what most human beings live under is the invisible illusion of control that uh, I've asked literally thousands of clients who they believe is in control of what they do. And 997 out of, a th- out of every thousand says to me that they believe they're in control of what they do. And there is just so much evidence to prove the contrary. Uh, so it's people who think that there might be some uh, some value in this for them are really going to struggle with a lifetime's worth of relying upon their automatic pilot without knowing they've been doing it. Hmm. Okay. So this is quite confronting then. Clearly that, that you're 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 telling us all this. But what again is this something that uh, if somebody is once they've grasped how to do this. Mm-hmm. Is this something that as individuals we can do ourselves? I mean, you said that you learnt it, I think, six years ago. Mm-hmm. It's fundamentally transformed how, how you think and how you behave and how you, know, how, how you sort of prosper in your life and business. Mm-hmm. 
So is this something that we we have to practice? Is it, is it I mean, just give us an insight if, if I can't get out of you, which I understand that I can't get 40,000 words in 15 minutes, but what what would we need to how different do do we need to operate in order to kind of reap some of these benefits okay um well i guess one of the one of my fundamental assumptions is that once you wake somebody's intellectual brain up once you get attached to somebody's intelligence it becomes a bit of a no-brainer that that person would want to be the best person they could be uh, I, uh now i don't see a uh, a standard cross-section of humanity in my practice or in my audiences. The people that I communicate to are people who are seeking excellence. And I don't know of a way you can achieve excellence, excellence through mediocrity. Mm. Uh, so this idea of, uh, of being constantly curious and mildly confused is one of literally challenging everything you do. Now, the, the, what we've been focusing on to a little degree so far is the things that don't work. Mm. And uh, those moments when our automatic brain does things that the, that doesn't work for us, and we and our clever brain wakes up just that little bit too late and says, "Oh no, what's going on now? I've got to clean the mess up." Those moments uh, are, are legitimately worth looking for, but that's not where my ultimate aim for the people that I talk to lies. I want people to have a rich, full, and meaningful life, and mm. just reducing the number of mistakes you make in your life is not going to make you. A better person or a better husband or a better business owner or a better anything it's just going to make you a less bad one but the other side of the equation is where if you are being deliberately curious and uh, and consistently confused then you start to observe things in yourself and your life and your environment that are awesome you begin to notice the things that you've been taking for granted and that's the outcome that is absolutely transforming uh, mm. in, in my practice and in my speaking, I don't believe that anyone has had a breakthrough just by getting the things they've been getting wrong right. That's an enormous mm. help. It's what we should be really trying to achieve. But the incredible transformations that people can experience is when they suddenly get a glimpse of how many things they're actually doing right. And they go from having oh no moments to having oh wow moments and that's just spectacular that uh, it, it leaves you with the inevitable conclusion that you're the luckiest person in the world hmm. okay but look when i wake up tomorrow morning let's say i decide right okay well i've spoken to, i've spoken to Lindsay. so today's the day i'm going to go through my day um deliberately being more curious and more confused mm -hmm. that's 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 not a model you're suggesting I, I, w I would imagine that's not going to work is it how am I going to wake up tomorrow morning trying to be deliberately confused well uh, I'd, I'd highly recommend you give it a try Robert <laughs> <laughs> because one of one of the things that emerges from that kind of a mindset is the recognition of at least at least one reality gap that if you do that now i may be talking to the wrong man here you may have an absolutely perfect life and i sincerely hope you do robert um but if you do then you're not in my target. no comment <laughs> you're not in my target audience if you are perfect no, okay. by the way um but if you're a normal human being uh your genuine curiosity is going to identify the fact that there are that you're going to be in places in your life where you're sitting in a state of habitual discomfort. Uh, there's a spectacular old story about uh, a guy walking past a house and he notices a dog sitting miserably whining on the porch. 
And he went in and knocked on the door just out of sheer compassion and the owner came out and the guy apologised and said, I couldn't help notice your dog's whining. You know, I thought, could anything be done? And the owner of the dog laughed and said, well, he sits on a nail on the porch there. There's a big nail sticking up out of the floorboards. And the passerby said, so he's whinging because he's sitting on a nail. Why doesn't he move? And the owner of the dog said, I guess the nail's not hurting him enough. Hmm. <laughs> I, guarantee, okay. I guarantee there are people listening to this who, are, who have just had a realisation that they're sitting Very on a bad. nail. Mm. And they're suddenly going to have become aware just by that little trigger story that there are things in their lives that they've been tolerating in spite of the discomfort that they're tolerating. Yeah, okay. So I, look, one of the bits that I'm sort of, I, I guess I'm struggling with is is this notion of, of looking for confusion. But I just kind of thought as you were talking there, in my own mind, it, it's not so much, well, this is a question as much as a statement, but I'm guessing it's not so much um, seeking to be confused, but it, it's, it's seeking to understand. It's looking for those things that you don't fully understand, that you don't fully comprehend. Mm -hmm. And they, that that then is your kind of confusion space, isn't it? That's 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 what you mean. Is that right when you talk about confusion? Is it just look for things that you don't understand? Look for things that, and this is where the curiosity comes in as well. Is would that be right? I, yes, very much so. It's it's my long-standing belief that if you are curious, there can really only be two outcomes. One is that your curiosity is going to resolve itself by you realizing that you were right all along, and right. and that's an oh wow moment. Hmm. But some of Let the me. some of the curiosity is going to awaken you to the fact that you're sitting on a nail, and you think, okay. and you're then going to go, "Oh, wow, that does hurt, man! How can I fix that? <laughs> now, can I move? Can I knock it down? Can I pay someone to fix it?" And you begin to resolve things that it wouldn't have occurred to you were resolvable or were within your purview to resolve. Okay, I get it. Now, let me, let me just use, I listened to, uh, I know you, you were on uh, Tim Reed, who's a good friend of ours at Flying Salary, on his podcast a while ago. Great guy. And um, he's a great guy. And you were talking to him, um, this is more marketing as it would be because it's Tim, um, talking a little bit more there about how you created a, a cue, a, you filled your, your psychology practice. Mm -hmm. Right, you filled it with clients. So let's just let's just hold that thought for a moment. So we're speaking to a number of the flying seller community who work as independent professionals, much like you do, um, who are looking to fill their practice, whatever that might be. It might be design, it might be coaching, it might be consulting, yoga, who knows what. So when you were in that situation, I just want to ref sort of take it back to, to, to your own situation. When you were, had this practice and you're going, right, I need to fill this practice. So how did you use, in, if you can cast your mind back to that, how did you use this deliberately curious and confused kind of model, if that's the right terminology? Mm -hmm. how did, how, what's the sort of process that you went through to help you fill and grow your business? Well, within this model, I approached my potential referral base by uh, actively trying to seek out, firstly, what they would need to be satisfied with people they were referring to. And the, the, uh, the universal response was that it's typically GPs that refer to psychologists, and those GPs were saying, uh, we're looking for our patients to come back to us and say, thank you for making that referral, it really helped. Okay, so just stop you there for a sec. So that was your curiosity talking to, you use your curiosity to, to talk to your existing customers and ask them that question, what would it take to, to 
pr promote a referral, is that right? Or to, to uh, act on a referral? Exactly. Yeah, okay, all right. Now, I've, I've noticed in a lot of... Um, in a lot of writings and a lot of seminars and I've heard a, there's a lot of very strong opinions stated around the internet and all those sort of places hmm. and a lot of people uh, recommend that you identify your target market and uh, work out what they need and then kind of tell them that they need it. Uh, right. Now that to me uh, doesn't work from a psychological mm -hmm. perspective. It, yep. it only works if there is complete and perfect congruence with what you believe they want and what they actually want. Now, that's fantastic when you've nailed it, but it's, mm. uh, to me it's like buying a lotto ticket. Uh, if, when you buy the, lot, the right lotto ticket, it changes your life, but there's, uh, what is it, 7,999,999 that don't win. Mm. So if my opinion of what my uh, audience is wanting to hear uh, isn't congruent with what I'm wanting to tell them, then I'm just going to be wasting my breath telling them. So that's why I go in with genuine confusion. And I would say to these, uh, to these GPs, I'm, I really want to understand what it is that people in your industry are expecting of people in my industry. And they began to fall over themselves telling me, and then the challenge was for me to meet those requirements. Okay, which you then did. I believe so. I, uh, yeah. as, I, as I spoke to Timbo about, I believe that, uh, mm. you know, that excellence is not only the entry criteria, but it's uh, an unachievable ideal that you, if you think you're the best widget maker in town and you rest on your laurels, then pretty soon you're going to come up against a better widget maker and you're going to start losing mm. business. But if you say, I'm a really good widget maker and I'm actively trying to become better, then that's when the world can be at your oyster. And certainty is not the way to do that. It's confusion that leads you that way. How can I do my job mm. better? What can I learn better? Uh, what kind of feedback can I take? All those kind of things. Okay, so in the, I'm right in saying that you said six years that you've been using this this particular sort of uh, of way of working with your your clients in your practice, yep. correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so and what what sort of things are you seeing? How what changes are you seeing in the lives of your clients who are working like this? Well, as part of the this kind of uh, revolution of thinking that I've uh, experienced over those years, I've now begun to actively measure my performance as a psychologist and uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I hadn't been actively doing that in all the years prior to that. Uh, it's not necessarily an industry standard, it's something I'm very critical of the entire health industry over now uh, that you know, if you, I believe if you need to go to a surgeon then the surgeon should have some form of empirical measure of how successful they are at being a surgeon. Right. Uh, and the same should apply for a psychologist. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, why would I come to see you as a psychologist? I can show them statistics that taken over a six-year period where I can say, uh, you know, the, uh, on average, a person that comes to see me will score their well-being approximately a 14 out of 40 on a well-being scale, and after 5.7 sessions on average with me, they will have more than doubled that sense of well-being. Hmm. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm really proud of it. But I bet you're really proud of it. But I'm, I'm constantly looking to make it better. At the end of every session, I ask my clients to review what they think the session was like, whether they felt heard, understood and respected, whether we worked on what they wanted to work about, whether they liked my approach and whether they felt the session met their needs. And I constantly give that feedback to the referring GPs on their specific referral client and in an aggregated form. Uh, because it's it's provable. I've got the numbers to demonstrate it. Fantastic. So that's going going back to 
your curiosity and your confusion when you were speaking to GPs and finding out what they needed to know, what you're doing now then is being proactive. You're going back to those same people and fresh GPs, presumably, who aren't referring for you, saying, hey, look at this, look at these measures that that I'm sort of publishing. Is that is that how you're using it? It was the way I used it, yes. I uh, okay. I haven't actively sought an additional GP as a referral point for a number of years now because I'm booked out quite a lot in advance. Um, So uh, that's the model when you're starting up because these Mm. they they don't, at that stage, someone who's never referred to you doesn't know why you might be different to the person that they're currently referring to. No, okay. All right. So now this, the book that you've written is uh, the first book that you've written and I know you, I think you said you've got another three or four or five in the wings mm-hmm. your next one is looking at um at, at how this whole concept of of why clever people it might be why professionals do dumb things would that is that right absolutely that, right that's yep. the your next one and so and i know in kind of um in support of these or spearheading if you like i suppose these books is you're increasingly being invited to go to conferences and events and speak on this whole kind of theme so is is this the um, sort of business that you've designed, or is this has this come sort of accidentally? I mean, what's I'm just interested in your own sort of evolution um, in your own business. Well, I have the incredible uh, fortune, and I'm amazingly gratitude, grateful for it, that uh, I've been with my wife for 26 years, and what? for about 24 of those 26 years, she's been haranguing me to become a public speaker. Uh, uh-huh. I've taught at university, lectured, uh, and I've run seminars and workshops. And I've always believed I was really good at it, but I didn't believe I had anything uh, sort of different to tell the world. And uh, it wasn't until I uh, went through a, an amazing program last year called the Key Person of Influence program, KPI, where I, the KPI program, where yep. uh, I literally discovered where my intersection was and what my why was, and that led to the first of these books and. My wife is now very smugly seeing me go off to do public speaking and saying, "See, I told you so." Right. <laughs> okay. So it's 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 not accidental. It was it was designed. But what you've done again, I guess you're going to say to me, going through this um, this means of of being deliberately curious and confused, it's pushed you. You've pushed yourself to um, to create and evolve your business in a in a quite a new direction. That's absolutely right, and it could never have mm. happened if I hadn't have had my clever brain awake, recognizing that I've been that I was sitting on a nail, that I was you know, working too hard, that I was only getting to touch three hundred lives a year instead of three thousand or thirty thousand. Uh, mm. All of those things would have been invisible to me um, had I not had the uh, the loving uh, encouragement of my wife and the very mm. active encouragement and support mm. of the KPI program. Okay, and you know. 40 years of working history and 20 years as a psychologist, all those things culminated. But uh, my automatic pilot was quite happy for me to be a one-on-one psychologist for the next 20 years. Mm. So just going back to, I'm going to I'll give you a wrap-up question in a moment, but just going back to the, the poor dog on the nail, um, do you, is it, is it your belief that uh, most of us in our businesses and our lives are sitting on a nail to some degree, but that we just maybe it hasn't kind of pushed through the uh, outer layers of our clothing yet. What's your what's your thought there? Okay, uh, I wish it was only one nail, Robert. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and I wish it was only beginning to push its way through our outer layer of clothing. I think some of our mm. nails are incredibly deeply embedded, 
And they've done that not uh, clearly. If the nail was violently forced through your buttock, you would leap mm. off it with a scream. Yeah. But that's not the way these nails operate. They very gradually work their way out through the woodwork. And because we're so accustomed to sitting in our particular position on the front porch, we get that sense of mild discomfort. But uh, it increases so gradually that we just don't uh, we don't pay it the attention that it deserves. No, okay. Until so how do we... Uh, an extra question I'm putting in there. So how do we... Bear in mind, a number of people listening to this are working by themselves. They they may not w- want to queue to get to see you in your practice or physically can't or can't get to one of your talks. So let's say we've got this this nail, and yes, we can feel it. Mm-hmm. So by ourselves, what do we do? Is that Presumably one of the first things is recognizing it and is, is to excuse the pun, is nailing it. We need to, <laughs> do we need to write down and say, okay, this is the thing that's causing me the discomfort? Presumably we have to kind of name it and describe it before we can then put it through the deliberate, deliberately curious and confused kind of cycle. Is that correct? You're absolutely right. Uh, that that um, sounds like you've read the book, Robert. You've done well. Uh, <laughs> because the, the two things that I most strenuously advocate that people do, the first one is to ask lots of questions, to generate that sense of curiosity and confusion by asking mm. lots of questions. And the second thing is to use pen and paper a lot. Uh, yeah. the, the one of the ways that you can break the nexus of your uh, of your automatic pilot having control over you is to use the written word because sometimes you will write things down and come back to them the next day and think I can't actually believe that I wrote that rubbish mm. and uh, the, so the, the the use of questions and the use of writing the response or those questions down can be a profoundly life-changing experience. Mm, okay. And we can, by, by all accounts, and we can find out more about the exact process um, through your book. So, look, that, my final question to you, I'd like to ask you, you've, you've clearly met and worked with an awful lot of people mm. and been influenced by a number of people. Who has been the sort of, if you can narrow it down, who's been the single greatest sort of influence on, on you and your life and what did that person teach you? I have met and worked with some extraordinary, amazing people. And uh, if, I, if you don't mind indulging me with three very briefly uh, who are right at the top. The, third, on, the first one, and I've, I've already mentioned her, is this amazing woman that I've been with for the last 26 years. Uh, incredibly intelligent, incredibly encouraging, and constantly challenges me way, way up there at the top. The second nice. is my uh, my wonderful father. He just turned 92. Uh, what little wisdom I have and what values and morals I have have absolutely flowed from him. He's the most incredible person that I've ever known. And the third one, and probably the most powerful in a business context, was my professional supervisor as I was becoming a psychologist, an amazing man uh, named Bill Morton from Melbourne, and right. uh, one of the most frighteningly intelligent humans I've ever met. Uh, and he really was the one that started to kickstart me using my clever brain. Um, so they're the, they're my influences. Fantastic. Well, I, I just need to know your wife's Christian name because she's had a good name check, but we haven't heard her name yet. Okay, she's the wonderful Sarah Spencer Matthews. There you go. Fantastic. And she okay. she's is way cleverer than me. She's got a PhD. She oh. didn't just write a book, she wrote a book. Why didn't I get her on here? How come I've ended up with you? I must have well, see, Robert, it. if you'd have been curious, you'd have asked me, is there someone you'd recommend me to talk to, Lindsay? Damn, damn. <laughs> okay, well, look, um, Lindsay Smith-Matthews, thank you so much. So for people wanting to find out more about you, head to greatchangemaker.com.au. That's greatchangemaker.com.au. 
Um, and Lindsay Spencer Matthews is your name. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the speaking circuit. I know you're going to be moving around a whole lot, so we'll keep an eye out for you and hopefully get you back sometime and you can tell us life from the uh, stories from the road or something maybe in the future. Thanks, Robert. It's been a delight to talk to you and I am so grateful for being a guest on your show. Pleasure. Thank you. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au. 